1: From Barangaroo Studios, this is the COB, brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission.
0: Hello, this is the COB, all the stuff you need to know in the day in business and markets. I'm Kyle Roddy here, of course, with Danny Akia, Uh our first team for the week. It's great to see you.
1: Absolutely. Great to see you too. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we've got to get to a, a little bit of, uh, I suppose, sweet talk, banter, small talk, because there's not much going on out there at the index level for the market, it has to be said. Um, we're down today, but uh, again, it seems to be that we're just sort of struggling to find a, a catalyst, perhaps a direction. It um, certainly seems activity is a little bit lower than, well, you know, perhaps what we've been used to.
1: Yeah. I guess people are just sitting on their hands at the moment. There's so many uh, potentially major market moving events coming up, you know, in terms of, dare I say, that debt ceiling, Mm. where inflation goes, we hire for longer, we're going to have another rate rise here in Australia. Is the US going to go in June? My gosh, I'm sure people have never talked that much about macroeconomics and had such a crash course as they have literally in the last year.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I suppose inflation will do that. But um, let's get a look at the SIBO 200s very quickly. Uh, and, well, it seems that we're having issues with that chart, but we'll just have a gander. It's at It's down uh, about
1: four-tenths of a percent. I've got the ASX 200 currently, but yeah. it, it does take a while to update, about 26 points. Uh, mm-hmm. Material's very strong. That was BHP, but also James Hardy, which we've been discussing all day long. Yeah. Uh, that was strong. Also, a little bit of love in some of the lithium stocks. Hmm. I noticed Morgan Stanley said they thought the price was going to start to improve as mm. the inventories. Had come down, and uh, a lot of weakness sitting in the, um, cons- the the defensive stocks, the health cares, the yeah. Woolworths, the Coles, and of course they've all been really strong performers lately. So probably it's this ongoing rotation, rotation, rotation that we're seeing in markets.
0: Yeah, and so uh, only yeah, two of, two of eleven sectors finished higher: materials and energy. The rest, rest yeah. were lower. Uh, let's get to the straight themes though, because again, it sort of crisscrosses the macro. And the micro, nobody moved seems to be the uh the way people are playing these this environment at the moment uh, but finally balanced we got the rba's minutes today actually a bit of macroeconomic data today and yep. the decision as it was uh, described in the minutes was finally balanced they were decided to go 25 basis points and well we did have some consumer sentiment figures and which are right? confidence figures out today too uh the az print falling to low since not, not since april 2020 mm. which it kind of gives me flashbacks thinking about it. I don't. I don't. I don't like. Remembering I think we're those
1: all days. locked up then. Yeah. Nobody liked that.
0: Yeah, no, no, I was, in, I was in Melbourne. That was a, that was a grim two oh, years. Oh, that was so. very
1: grim, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, it was, uh, was drevel. So anyway, that's the kind of scale of, uh, well, I suppose the drop in confidence that we've seen recently is that mm. uh, people are feeling as bad as, well, actually, I was talking to Adelaide uh, just over uh, Twitter before about the numbers and she said, yeah, when people were expecting double-digit unemployment uh, in, in the country when, when we got into lockdowns yeah. and there was no stimulus yet yeah. and all this stuff was going on, that's how bad we're feeling it would seem, at least based on the survey. Um, we always like to ask this question too. And I know you actually had a guest on a little earlier that probably answered it better than anyone could. China. What's going on in China, yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, we did. We had a global Asian strategist from HSBC, Frederick Mm. Neumann. Uh, Yeah, clearly the government is going to have to stimulate again. Um, He is looking for stimulus to come through, not of the magnitude that you saw in 2008-9, but they really probably, uh, Beijing and China, uh, I mean the PBOC, put some money to get housing going, get Mm. the property developers going, because the retailer basically services, so traveling's doing very well, the high-end consumer, but there's a lot of structural problems in yeah. China at the moment with the middle to low end consumer not having any money. There's still employment problems. So, patchy recovering the numbers yet again weak, um, or weaker than expected. Uh, weak, weak is a strong word when you grow at 18% retail sales, but not, not what they wanted. Um, so, he is basically looking really for more stimulus to help boost that economy. And obviously the US, if it goes into recession, um, is going to cause it doesn't not coming at a great time, and ditto so for the rest of the world for I've China. Got,
0: I've got a wild theory that I'm sort of uh, you know letting ferment in my head for, for <laughs> a review, um, which is just about the concerns maybe China's policymakers have about financial stability risks abroad and how it could affect mm. them locally. Just a few interesting research papers that I've hit, seen hit the inbox lately, talking about just little ways uh, that. Policymakers are tempering with China's financial markets with their banks to make sure that they're, well, fairly stable. But, I mean, if you look at like the PPI figures last week, the CPI figures in principle, they you know, probably should be stimulating now. Certainly, they'll, they'll probably start exporting uh, deflation to the rest of the world. But perhaps you know, avoiding um, making the, the job of any other global central banker any more difficult by stimulating themselves and then obviously um putting any further pulse or, or pressure up in uh, in terms of inflation globally anyway that's uh, that's going to be my wild idea to, to let sort of cultivate in my head over the next few days um but let's look at some of the corporate news today uh, james hardy was probably uh the biggest one i don't know if you had a chance to look through the results but it certainly um
1: margins were much better
0: yeah it kind of mm. put to, well, on, to one side, that the world is ending trade. There, for, at least when it comes to the U.S. economy and U.S. housing market, for now.
1: I think they have been very preemptive about cutting costs, yeah. and um, they also, I think they, um, you know, had that pull through a bit like the tech companies. Um, staff were laid off, and you know they've been very preemptive, expecting this slowdown in U.S. housing. Um, the outlook isn't great Mm. and they did say that very much nothing is going to happen in the u.s until the uh i suppose the consumer realizes that the fed's not going to raise anymore and maybe start to drop rates so um definitely better than expected the market really really liked it but they're not out of the woods yet
0: no, not by any means. And uh, while well, we had a broker upgrade to a risk-right leisure, that was uh, upgraded by four bucks. Seen a great
1: performer, that one.
0: Yeah, down a little bit today, but um, yeah. like you said, um, a, a really good performer. Promedicus as well. Uh, didn't move too much, but signed a new contract uh, with Gunderson Care Systems. You can see there uh, just some of the mover and shakers happen. Uh, well,
1: It feels like it's a last gasp for Appen, yeah. you know, going to the market with these depressed share price levels, yeah. trying to raise capital. I mean, it certainly would not be the first choice, would it? I to raise so. equity when your share price has been absolutely pummeled. So yeah. I, I I, don't know. It's, it's probably... Yeah, maybe not a last gasp, but I'm sure some shareholders are asking some serious questions of management.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it seems sort of throwing, um, you know, good money after bad, I guess you could say at this point. Um, But of course, well, actually, we didn't speak to CEO Chris Hull. You spoke to CEO Chris Hull from Live360 a little earlier today. And I mean, that was the biggest mover on the market in the end up. Around eleven and a half percent. Anything that um anything you took away from that in particular?
1: Yeah. So their cost out programs have worked really well for them. The integration of Tile is going really, really mm. well. Um, they've got the millennials that are the the the, the digital natives yep. that are now starting to have babies, and of course yep. that all is all very positive when you want to connect and watch them and watch your dog and your cat and everybody else, and yes. they have their Tile and off yep. they go yep. into the Life 360 walled garden. They, yeah. know software as a service um, you know the family package yeah so he was really really upbeat Um, they are making profits they are cash flow positive which is really really good it's a quarter before the what they're expecting and they're doing big launches into the UK and the um, also to Europe so upbeat
0: yeah you can be a helicopter parent from the comfort of your living room well we did actually have a conversation with Chris Hull CEO of light 360 a little earlier here's what he had to say about the results Obvious takeaway is that we reached uh, cash flow breakeven
2: uh, and positive adjusted EBITDA earlier than planned by a quarter. Uh, internally, we're not surprised about that. We've always felt we've had a lot of operating leverage in the business. Uh, we've
0: known that we can grow organically with very little marketing spend, but obviously uh, having confidence in doing something versus delivering results is, is quite different. And we are very proud that the company is now essentially generating operating cash And we have a ton of upside as we continue to push on some of the new features such as including hardware devices in our bundles. And on top of that, seeing very good international results, which we think will bode well to our full rollout of the the broader Life360 membership in the UK later this year. Okay, so you could hear there from Chris Hulls just in terms of what he thought of the results. And uh, of course, uh, always very generous with his time, Chris. So uh, we do appreciate him calling in uh, from uh the uh, well I think he's still in New York in fact
1: not, or San Francisco well,
0: San Francisco sorry he was in New York when when I spoke to him last time um anyway James Hardy we spoke about it a little uh, yep. earlier on some of the results there it was our stock of the day we'll jump straight to it now here's what our guest had to say about the outlook for James Hardy
2: honestly the, the, the outlook is, is pretty good and I think but the real question for investors is, where does James Huddy sit in the economic cycle right now? Because again, if you're looking at any share price and how much do I pay for this business, the answer is usually should be at least uh, a question of how much the long-term earnings power of this company is worth. So I don't know how sustainable the current level of earnings is, mate. So I'm a little bit concerned, I have to say. If you look at the company's current BA of 18 times, I would be a little bit higher now. But again, of course, uh, future earnings hopefully higher as well. I don't want to pay 18 times for a cyclical business at or near the top of its powers. This stock kind of encapsulates the arm wrestle that's going on in the market at the moment where every man and his dog has caught a recession and is wary of the stocks that are exposed to a downturn in the economy and these stocks are actually, you know, they're not shooting the lights out but they're surprising investors in how well the business's earnings are holding up. I'll say a hold with a recommendation.
0: Right, fair to say mixed there, a bit mm. of a sort of a hold overall for the company, but uh, well, fortunately we also have someone else with an opinion on James Hardy, Martin Craig from Toronto Partners joins us at the desk and uh, actually as we were walking in, Martin welcome along, it's great to have your company of course. Um, it was your sort of stock of, correct me if I'm wrong, stock of the year, was that what, what I was afraid? Your, yeah. your pick
2: of the year at the start of the year? Well the good people at Osbury's contacted me at the end of last year <laughs> uh, and asked <laughs> if I'd do a 30 to 60 second video grab on what my stock for the year was. So. My previous one was South 32, the one before that was Santos, so not bad track record, mm-hmm, single stock mm-hmm. five, so yeah, Hardys was my number one and really some of the stuff we saw in the result today is the reason you want to own it. The, out- the short-term outlook's horrible, right? The US housing market's on its knees. They said it's going to fall another 15 20% this year over last year. So why would you buy a housing stock if the housing market's collapsing? And it's about the discounting mechanism that is the Australian share market. We are looking 18 months out. We're not looking at 2023 or even 2024. We're thinking about 25, when inflation will be under control, growth will be improving, Interest rates will be getting cut, and we have a massive underbuild because of all the net migration that's going on around the world. So we need to find homes for 1.5 million people in the next five years in Australia. God knows what the number is in America. There's mm. going to be tens of millions of new homes that need to be built, so you want to own home builders. Now, I sent you a chart. I'm not sure if you had time to load it. Looking at the performance of the US home building stocks, yeah. they're back to their all-time highs. Oh, no. They're only 1.5% below their all-time highs of, of November 2020. The Aussie stocks that are in the US, which is Hardy's Reliance, RwC, and Reese, REH, they're all in the US housing market in one form or another. They're, uh, they're still well below, they're still 30, 40% below. So the black line is an index of US home builders, and as I said, it's back to its all-time highs. The Aussies are still 40% behind, mm. so I'm not saying that gap's going to close tomorrow, but it's a bit of an anomaly there. So there'll be money moving out of the US home builders into the Aussie-listed US home builders. And James Hardy is probably the biggest one of that so we think that's a no-brainer that stock can go a lot higher than where it is today.
1: Mm. Yeah no, no, you, really good points and uh, it's a quality company you yeah. know management continue don't they to, to prove themselves. Well, they have got through a superior product so yeah. fibre
2: cements a much more superior product than vinyl mm. and Americans predominantly use vinyl to clad their house and it's obviously very energy intensive and it's also flammable so why would you want to cover your house in that when you can use a fibre cement product they've got patents over fibre cement going you know going out for so it is a technology play it's hard to think of five or minutes technology play but they yeah. have patents all around their processes and they make 25% EBIT margins which in the building industry is unheard of yeah. so yeah. it's a really good quality company it's had its it's had its problems in its history with asbestos asbestosis and so forth so right. it's not without warts if you, if you know what I mean but we just think it's a stock and the go a lot higher
1: yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, maybe have a look at what the RBA said, Martin, mm. in terms of their main minutes flagging. I mean, there's a lot of data still to come out before the, the next meeting. Yep. I was just having a look, unemployment, retail sales, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But another rate hike on the cards, do you
2: think? People have started adding the back in. So if I rewind six weeks ago, everyone had removed rate cuts sorry rate hikes from the agenda and it was always a a matter of when are they going to put them up. Now the curve's now moved back the other way so I think NAB are now going for 4.1, UBS who we're close to, they're they're saying there's now risk of another one. So people are starting to move back towards 4% rates and you can just see the the cash futures there are are definitely pricing in. the probability of at least one more rate hike because you can see the September and uh, August contracts there around about 4%, so maybe a 50-50 chance of one more hike. But, you know, uh, as, I, as I showed there four weeks ago, we were looking at 3.6 going down to, you know, low threes by the middle of next year. So for those of us with mortgages, Colin, and I know you're in the same camp <laughs> as me, that is not good news. Yeah. But the issue, the RBA, it's clear that it's, that it's really, really close, neck and neck on these decisions. When the Fed votes, it's unanimous. There's rarely a dissenter. There used to be one or two, but there's usually 16 governors who all, all vote the same way, and they've got this real clarity around monetary policy. In Australia, even though they don't, don't disclose it, they've mentioned it in the t- last two minutes of how close the call is, and it's like five to six or, or, or similar, right? So the decision to pause was was one vote the decision to hike is probably one or two votes. So there's real, um, I suppose, lack of cohesion within the Reserve Bank as to what to do about monetary policy, and there's a lot of people sort of sitting either side of the fence. So it seems to be that the wage price index we get tomorrow, and then the employment data on Thursday, and then the uh, we don't know when the wage decision comes out, the Fair Work Commission on minimum wages, because that sets award wages as well, uh, when that comes out, but there could be three data points coming out in the next few days that swing the RBA in either direction but at the moment it looks like the betting is for another rate hike. One of the reasons you saw um, stocks with interest rate sensitivity getting knocked around today, so long-duration stocks, growth stocks, very interest rate sensitive. They all got knocked around this afternoon after those minutes came out.
0: And let's take it to the consumer now too, because I know that you've been sort of fairly cautious on consumer stocks. Yeah. And I mean, if there's any kind of very crude indicator that we can look to, it's just these uh, figures that we've got out of ANZ and then particularly Westpac, the monthly read today. Yeah. Uh, competence is obviously just completely in the doldrums.
2: Yeah. It's at it's at GFC levels, which is odd because I recall the GFC. There was lots of unemployment, interest rates were really high. There was a banking crisis. There was you know runs on banks. There was banks going bust um, all over the place, and the consumer is as negative now as they were back then. So this courtesy of the good people at Westpac Economics and the Melbourne Institute, just showing, look, it's bouncing around. You can you can see that it's moving like 10 points a month, which is quite volatile. So if the RBA cuts rates or ho- goes on hold, sorry, we all get excited. And if they hike rates, we all, we all get pessimistic again, um, and at exactly the same pattern as during the GFC. You can see there was months there where you know, people got a little bit more enthusiastic and then they got smashed again by yet another uh, ca- catastrophe. So it kind of feels like that, that sentiment suggests that retail spending should be slowing dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. As you were talking to one of your guests earlier, um, the gentleman from McGrath-Nichols, people are still spending money, right? Mm-hmm. There's still cash in accounts. Um, rich people are, are getting a pay rise because of higher interest rates. So there's still lots of spending going on, but that suggests that that's about to fall, uh, you know, off the edge of a cliff. We're all waiting for that to happen. But it hasn't. We haven't seen signs of it happening yet.
1: We don't have the the chart, but you put up a really interesting chart on LinkedIn yesterday about where all those bank deposits had gone and and the the magnitude. Yeah. What um, which I'd love you to touch on. But what caught my eye that this movement into money market funds, um, in previous historical periods actually preceded a couple of really nasty economic periods and crashes, the dot-com bust and the GFC, yeah. so maybe you could just talk around that chart and people can go and check it out yeah, on the so, LinkedIn page. So
2: what, what tends to happen in the US, a slightly different market to us, is that banks don't tend to pay interest on on checking accounts, on deposit accounts. So when interest rates go up, a lot of investors, well not a lot, but some investors move their money from a bank deposit to a mutual fund or a money market fund, which does pay a higher rate of interest. The problem for banks with that is if your deposits are shrinking, you need to shrink your loan book to offset the shrinking deposits. So it has an effect of tightening credit. So even though it's perfectly natural and it's what rational investors should do, if you're not getting paid money by the bank, put it in a money market fund. It's not guaranteed in a money market fund, but the banks, um, you know, that's something you need to trade off. But so a whole bunch of money moves out of the banks is about a trillion dollars has moved out in the past 12 months, which sounds like a lot of money. But in during uh, COVID, $3 trillion went into bank accounts in one year. So a lot of that money's just been sitting there, now it's coming out, but it tends to precede tightening of credit because of that issue of all of a sudden the bank doesn't have the deposit base, and think of Silicon Valley Bank and First National, etc. The deposits dry up, they have to shrink their balance sheet, well they actually got shrunk by the FDIC, (laughs) but the same thing, right? So it does actually have an impact of taking liquidity out of the financial system, Uh, although the money stays in cash, it stays in a different form of cash.
1: Yeah.
0: So that kind of almost sends us all the way back to the start. And I know Danny and I were talking about this at different stages. It's just uh, what sort of issues exist on, on these banks' um, asset size as well? Because there's the sense that this issue with com- commercial property, mm. uh, even just what's happening from almost like an accounting point of view with the sort of high-quality high, high quality liquid assets being sort of written down because of interest rate rises. Mm. Are we also concerned about those issues too? Or are you concerned about those, those, those issues too and the knock-on effects that that will have onto credit as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably played out. That was kind of played out through March. Um, And I think the the fact that the regulator and the central banks, and there was a coordinated central bank action around this as well, to provide, you know, infinite amounts of liquidity to any bank who may be having a deposit run, including putting your long-term government treasuries back to the Fed at par value, even though they were probably... 75 or 80 cents on the dollar like a 30-year bond's probably fallen from its peak something like 30 or 40 yeah. percent so if you have to liquidate that today you're going to take a big haircut so they said to banks well you can put it put it back at a dollar you don't have to put it back at 70 cents so i think that provided enough liquidity to to avoid the sort of bank run and, and we've now moved back so that h8 uh series that the federal reserve published every week that looks at deposits that's stabilized now there's not more money going out there was that huge drawdown that we spoke about but a lot of that was um, money moving out of Silicon Valley Bank and into other banks, so it's kind of circular. Um, but I think the change in interest rates, not concerned about financial stability, is what's driving deposit flows. Mm-hmm. So from a, from a systematic point of view, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the US financial system. Um, some investors were because, okay, we're just going to see more banks go broke. But I think we're beyond that now. Yeah. And JP Morgan get tapped on the shoulder like they have done for the last 200 years. Go and buy, go and buy the banks if, if, if something goes, goes wrong. So I think I'm, I'm, in my head anyway, moved beyond that as an issue. Yeah. We still need to be cognizant of it. I don't think it's a, a systemic risk like it was a couple of weeks ago. Martin, really appreciate your time as always. Uh, managed to get 10 minutes of
0: conversation out of what was otherwise pretty quiet day. So oh, there's always, always a lots quality. going on, mate. There's always <laughs> lots going on. Martin Craig from Shoreham Partners, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, let's get across just some of those leaders and laggards. Starting with the leaders, and of course, and uh, well, we have spoken about who they are oh, and why have. they are higher, of course. But uh, we'll touch on it again. Live 360, uh, a solid set of results, and I mean, a really, I've always thought about these sort of tech companies, right? Is this the elegance in simplicity, in simplicity, right? Like, you know, you can have these sort of very, very high ideas when it comes to you know world-changing kind of applications and, and technology that you know can do this, that, and whatever. But this is a simple idea, and seemingly. Are really well executed. People can understand it, people want the product, and, and, and clearly it's, it's translating to some success.
1: What was really interesting of why the tile acquisition was so significant yeah. is that people don't want to pay for an app. Mm. So the fact that you get a piece of hardware to track everything from your yeah. wallet to your cat to your dog to your, you know, your kid, whatever, the fact that they get a piece of hardware is enough of a hook or an inclination to go into their software as a service, you know, a payment scheme, to become a family member, et cetera. So I actually thought that was really interesting because by definition, people go, why should I pay for an app? So they've been very clever in monetizing their
0: app. And finding ways to sort of generate recurring revenue, I guess, as a result, right? That's that's, that's so interesting. Um, James Hardy spoke about that a lot, up 8.6% seemingly. Uh, shaking out some of the bears there. Uh, Tilix pharmaceuticals back at the top of the table once again with a 3% rally. Uh, Silver Lake has been in focus too over the last few days. Uh, Let's look across at the laggards as well, uh, as we must. Uh, ImmuGene, always volatile. And we did speak about how some of those healthcare names Uh, were, well, having a sort of a tougher session perhaps, if you will. Obviously, it's typically a much more volatile stock in Eugene. I don't know if I can find any news in particular actually as to why I thought it
1: was quite interesting. For Mm. a while there, we actually had some of the auto-related stocks. So, I've got Eagers up, AP Eagers up there or Eagers Automotive down almost 6%. Uh, and ARB was also up there at one stage, and GUD. But we've also got the wealth providers, Hub and 24, and net wealth also off by almost five percent. I just thought it was quite interesting that um, maybe to Martin's point of interest rate. Um, sensitive interest rate sensitive sectors being hit today because obviously higher rates not necessarily good for stock markets maybe people taking a more negative tone towards inflows or outflows with those wealth providers and two car financing costs going up in the absence Mm. of any other information and poor elders continues to struggle down another four percent under seven dollars and really that stock does not have a lot of love at the moment does it
0: no when i was uh Speaking and, and the folks who would have listened to the uh, podcast yesterday, Nathan summers Dharma from D-Data Analytics, he's been sort of a bit of a ball, you know, I mean that affectionately, of course, on uh, uh, Elders is a bit of an ag play. He's chosen ag play. Uh, sort of spoke about the technical dynamics that can often um, drive the price lower in the days after these results um, that were obviously disappointing as as they were, um, you know. More or less, the broken notes start coming out. The retail investors start going, "Oh, holy cow, that wasn't so good." Will sell as well. So, might be a, a few days of pain for holders investors there. He was, of course, very bullish um, on the sort of ag, ag theme there. Um, nevertheless, but um, of course, still in your bottom five today and the small caps
1: oh wow anything oh in there you've no, got the, the ikuye
0: no, family no, office small no, cap fund
1: no ostrat materials no idea but up uh, almost 19 percent magnus energy tech up 9.3 percent there
0: you go no. No. no next one five advanced um group six metals, three pharmaceutical um some of which has uh been spelt <laughs> uh, has been popped up there by a certain member of uh, of the team, I can tell. Um, <laughs> Are
1: you inferring someone has d- dyslexia? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't write that one, but I would put myself in that category. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I'm just a kid with the ADHD, of course. But um, let's get to what's on overnight, shall we? Because there's actually what a fair bit going on. What is on, on
1: overnight? Oh. Well, I think
0: the US retail story is going to be interesting for, yep. for a few days because we get the official data, but tonight we get the likes of Home Depot. In days to come, we get Walmart. Home Depot well. is really mm.
1: important. I think a lot of people are looking to, I think Home Depot, Walmart, maybe Target as well coming out, not yeah. 100% sure. So along with US retail sales, to get an idea of how that US consumer holding up. Did you see 17 US, US dollars, 17 trillion in debt was mm. announced by the US consumer. Uh, how much they've put on credit cards. Is that right? Yeah. It sounds huge, but most of the talking heads weren't too phased by it.
0: No, and it's probably because <laughs> it's not on their credit cards. But uh, anyway, let's move on and... There we go, that's tomorrow. Australian wage price data, Important. Japan GDP, yeah. um, earnings reports, uh, United Mole Group. Yep. And, oh, IDP. is that IDP education, no?
1: No, it's Insitec Pivot. Insitec
0: Pivot. My, 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 I don't know why, I even have my or glasses Insitec on sometimes. Or Insitec <laughs> What would be the, the proper Queen's English way of saying it?
1: I have no idea. You
0: have no idea. Insitec pivot. Should we
1: go frightfully posh to say goodbye? Oh, maybe we shall. <laughs> I mean, it's half
0: past, <laughs> we probably should. Remember, you can catch up on all the news and interviews from today on your website. And app. Danny, otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow morning.
1: Absolutely. Bye, everyone. The COB is brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission.